right, welcome to the Saxo Market Call on Monday, the 25th of September 2023. And I'm here with Sharo to talk about macro and FX and basically continue from where we left last week. It was a rather dramatic week with a lot of central bank rate decisions, but really with the language coming from the Fed setting the tone for the uh, the end of the week. Basically, the message was higher for longer and we saw a pretty significant move in the longer end of the US yield curve. It really you know, put downward pressure on equities. We had the worst closing in the S&P 500 futures index since June. So we took out some key levels. So that's obviously something to to bear in mind. Um, asset allocators were having a, a bad week because both bonds and equities were falling uh, last week. And I think this higher for longer narrative is for now, uh, the narrative that is impacting the market. And um, Sharo, what I mean, in the light of what happened last week, how do you what how do you view the macro economy and the financial markets going into this week and what are we going to to look out for yeah hi peter i mean certainly i think that higher for longer message that we got from the fed uh, but also from you know most of the other central banks that we had last week that is certainly reverberating through the markets now and uh, I think more importantly, um, the focus is turning to uh, the fact whether those higher interest rates, higher borrowing costs are getting filtered through to, uh, you know, show in the numbers for, you know, in the high frequency data as well. So I think this week is not as data heavy as last week or as event heavy, I should say, as last week. Uh, but certainly, I think we we will be watching a lot of uh, high frequency data points, a lot of the events really to answer the question whether, uh, you know, uh, the the economy, um, you know, which has been obviously dealing with a lot of post pandemic distortions and lags and has not really responded to high interest rates as of now, um, as it would have done in probably, you know, the past cycles. Uh, do we really start to get the impact um, from those high interest rates now? Yeah, and we we we're going to have the PCE figures, and um, you were part of writing a, a primer recently where you talked about the differences between the the CPI and the PC PCE because yeah, well the PCE is used by the Fed, but we talk a lot about the CPI indices. But uh, maybe you can explain the difference and and you know how how much importance should we put on the PCE uh, this week? I mean, yeah, absolutely. You know, PCE certainly gets uh, a lot more attention because that is the measure that the Fed really focuses on as well. Uh, but really, I think the difference between the CPE, CPI and the PCE is uh, primarily from uh, a perspective of, you know, the, the component weights. Uh, so the CPI weights are only uh, adjusted, I think, twice in the year, whereas PCE gets a more frequent uh, recalibration of weights. So I think it's quarterly if if I'm not wrong. Uh, so PCE does reflect more of, you know, uh, the current spending patterns. Um, and for now, I think uh, what is most important is that uh, PCE has a lower weight of the shelter component. And shelter component ha has been the one that's been keeping the CPI measure really sticky, right, um, over the last several months. And even if you saw the latest um, August readings, the uh, the core CPI was uh, still held up quite firmly, and that was because of the shelter numbers. So if you give that shelter a lower weightage, I think uh, the stage looks set for um, the core PCE number to potentially come out softer than what we saw in the CPI as well. So the core CPI was at 0.3%. A lot of that was rounding as well. 
but uh, potentially, I mean, I think that means that code PCE could be as soft as that or even, you know, even softer. So consensus is actually calling for a 0.2% print print uh, month on month. Uh, so I think that's really interesting. But, um, you know, uh, the discussions over the last few weeks, and we've, we've talked about this as well, that the focus of the markets is really shifting away from inflation at this point and moving to, you know, growth and labor market and more importantly, consumer data. I think that's really something um, that will also be seen this week. Uh, we do get uh, consumer confidence numbers as well on Tuesday. Um, and, uh, you know, in the face of tighter household budgets, how are consumers responding? You know, we've seen in the past uh, as well that higher gasoline prices, they get really reflected well in these consumer confidence surveys, you know. Uh, so I think uh, that's something we should monitor. And, you know, anyway, we know households are loading up on credit card debt and uh, potentially are yeah, facing even further restraint on spending because of uh, the repayments on student loans that are restarting and this whole talk that we have of $100 crude oil prices as well. Uh, so quite a few things to monitor. And I think, you know, consumer side of the story remains really important. Yeah, I think that that energy story is very important, especially for the consumer confidence, as you mentioned, also here in Europe. And um, Ul and I did the commodity podcast on Thursday, touching a little bit upon the um, the energy situation. So uh, tune into that podcast if you want more information. But then, Sharo, Powell mentioned the energy situation, but he as a key risk factor to the U.S. economy. He also mentioned this auto strike um, obviously could increase this deflation risk in the U.S. And then so maybe you can talk a little bit about that. But then also we need to touch a little bit on the this minority group um, inside the Republican Party in the U.S. Congress that is really uh, trying to push an again, agenda to you know constrain the U.S. government that talks about a U.S. shutdown. Whether we'll get to that point, let's see. But in any case, they will use their leverage to try to negotiate a very different uh, fiscal trajectory than what we have been on for the past year or so. And this is really one of, as I see, one of the potential catalysts that could t- turn this narrative higher for longer, uh, you know, on its uh, on its head. Because, you know, if the U.S. fiscal impulse suddenly suddenly go from a, from being a positive tailwind to a dramatic headwind because of, yeah. uh, of, of less fiscal spending, that's obviously a big change. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We've, we've talked a lot about the pressure on the consumer. So I think for this week, yes, a lot of the focus is really on how, how these events uh, pan out. And as we are approaching the end of the third quarter, going into fourth quarter now, uh, do, you know, these recession stagflation risks really kind of, um, you know, uh, go higher from here. So, you know, talking about the the auto worker strikes, I think uh, certainly uh, we've seen some relief uh, on that front for Ford, uh, but we've seen, uh, you know, widening uh, strikes against uh, GM and Stellantis as well, which now um, now is kind of targeting more of the supplier networks as well. Uh, so I think there are quite a few macro risks coming from uh, this. If or, you know, if this was to be extended further, we could see an impact of that on U.S. industrial output. We could see card prices jumping up higher uh, again if these uh, supply chains are not working properly. Uh, so certainly, I mean, all of these kind of again pointing to um, a fast forward uh, of that stagflation scenario that we have laid out of, for quite some time now. Um, and the U.S. shutdown, yes, I think uh, extremely important on to you know understand what happens on the fiscal side um, and also how that impacts 
um, you know, the markets uh, this week. And I think um, uh, if if a shutdown was to happen, that really means that thousands of federal workers, they might be actually furloughed. Uh, so they will not be getting the pay and, uh, you know, that obviously impacts spending. So uh, if I, I looked back on the data and I really saw that the spending um, in the last shutdown, the December 2018, January 2019 kind of uh, period, uh, we did see an impact on spending during the, the weeks of the shutdown, but that spending really came back after we reached a resolution. Um, this time, certainly the macro environment is very different. You know, again, we have these high interest rates. Again, we have these tighter household budgets that we just talked about. So whether all of that spending will really come back or not is the big question. And I think if it doesn't, again, you know, kind of raising the risks of uh, a quick, uh, you know, turnaround in that um, U.S. exceptionalism story that we've talked about, the economic momentum that we've seen for quite some time now as well. Um, also, I mean, if I can just take this discussion a little bit towards the, the FX side and what happens uh, there again. And when I looked at the December 2018, January 2019 uh, shutdown weeks, I saw uh, there were four consecutive weeks where the US dollar was actually falling. Um, and this is really important because also um, going into this week uh, today, um, we have seen the uh, positioning for the US dollar flipping to a net long for the first time in eight weeks. Uh, now, that's the big question, whether it will be sustained or not, or whether that kind of impacts what happens uh, to the US dollar from here. But uh, I mean, you know, we've, again, we've talked about this, that the US dollar has been maintaining that strength, um, not because the economy is firing on all cylinders, it's just because it looks like the recession risk or stagflation risk for the US are a little bit more delayed compared to some of the other major economies. And that looks the US economy do better right now. But if that story really turns around and you start to get some dire data or these events going uh, in the wrong direction, pointing towards a deteriorating economic outlook for the US economy, then I think there could be some scope for the US dollar as well to start consolidating its gains or even possibly look at you know reversing some of them. All right, good point, Sharo. And if we move across the Atlantic, uh, Europe was, you know, had a pretty bad uh, uh, Friday, to say the least. A lot of the PMI figures were mixed, tilted to the downside. France, in particular, was ugly. Germany had a little bit of a rebound, but you know, the overall picture is a, a Europe, European economy that is in in contraction um, in some parts of the economy, and. Um, yeah, the stagflation risk are definitely higher there, and um, we will have some Eurozone banking or bank lending survey out this uh, this Wednesday, and uh, we'll also have some uh, some inflation prints. So, what are, what are you looking for uh, in the week ahead for Europe? Um, yeah, uh, Peter, I think again, uh, certainly it looks like uh, the bank lending survey that you mentioned on Wednesday. It could be interesting to see what kind of a credit impulse um, we are getting. Is it turning to be a, a really big drag on the economy? Um, you know, I think, of course, the discussion uh, these days has been about uh, the pass through of higher um, uh, interest rates and the, what kind of an impact that could bring on bank lending standards and whether they are being tightened enough or not. Uh, so I think uh, that really kind of uh, will play 
on what we get from the ECB uh, next. Uh, but certainly, I think those preliminary September inflation prints that we get this week from uh, Germany and from Spain on Thursday, and then from France, Italy, and for the Eurozone as well on Friday, I think those obviously will be key to um, kind of uh, understand the path of uh, the ECB uh, from here. Uh, I think for Germany and also more broadly for the Eurozone in general as well, uh, we could see uh, some softness coming through in those inflation prints. A lot of that may be base effects, uh, but also some bit may come from the post-summer travel demand going down, which could kind of drag on services costs such as transportation, right? In Germany, actually, last year, between June to August, we had those uh, nine euro public transport tickets being introduced. So that is really falling out of comparison now. Uh, so it does look like we could get some good news on inflation there um, on the Eurozone. But I think, you know, like we've discussed again for, for the US economy as well, focus is really more on how quickly the economic momentum is deteriorating. Um, if that uh, continues to show what we saw from the PMI numbers on Friday with the German PMI turning around, I think uh, that could be quite a relief for uh, the for the euro, you know, uh, players particularly because uh, a lot of bad news has been priced in for the euro dollar as well. And um, you know, if we if we Germany is actually a big anchor for where the euro goes, and if we do see. Uh, those CPI numbers really uh, being even softer than expected. I think there's potentially going to be some scope for a recovery in the euro dollar. I think also let's see what we get from you know all these important ECB uh, speakers. We get uh, Lagarde um, on the wires today. We get Schnabel as well, who is usually quite hawkish. And uh, if we do get some uh, of that, uh, you know, tone about keeping rates higher for longer or even raising the potential for another rate hike if needed, uh, then we could obviously start to see a little bit of a turnaround in the euro uh, space as well. Yeah, good points. And especially with that very extended positioning uh, barriers on the euro, uh, probably don't need to see a uh big changes to economic activity before you could see a move in the in the euro in the other direction especially if positions are quite stretched but um the final point we're going to talk about for this week uh china so um you know, china we it's been on the everyone's lips you know so where is the economy headed it's definitely slowing down we have this trouble in the financial and the real estate sector but you know on the consumer side of things a lot of the consumer companies in europe and the us have actually indicated surprisingly strong um consumers in 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 china so it's really the manufacturing sector that is still is still weak and then with the and then as well as i said in the in the real estate sector but what are you looking what are you looking out for in terms of china this week I mean, yeah, certainly there's a lot of, uh, you know, many different uh, pointers for the Chinese economy, as you say. But uh, the big question now that the markets are looking to answer is whether all of those stimulus announcements that we've seen so far, uh, really, are they bringing um, any further upside in the high frequency data? Um, are we ready to kind of call it a turning point in the Chinese economy or not? So we do get the PMI numbers, uh, but they're over. Um, uh, they're due on the weekend uh, on Saturday, if I'm not wrong. Uh, so I mean, markets will not get a chance to immediately react to those numbers. But we did see some momentum building in those composite PMI numbers numbers in August. So if that is sustained, I guess, in the September readings, that could be a signal that uh, the quarter 
uh, three GDP data could obviously swing a little bit higher, show some amount of recovery. Um, of course, I mean, you know, the, the property sector, what's happening with the restructuring of Evergrande, all these things are continuing to kind of uh, uh, prevent uh, the economy from turning around uh, so quickly. But, uh, you know, I, we, we were looking at uh, some of our own client data this morning, and it was it was very interesting. If you look at Saxo flows on, only, I mean, it's it's a little bit of a narrower definition, but it's quite reflective of uh, what's happening more broadly in the markets as well. So we looked at um, our APAC offices data and we saw that there's a net long on China and Hong Kong indices, uh, which was quite a contrast with a net short positioning in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ as well. So our clients generally are positioned for a recovery in Chinese assets as well. Now, whether that is a tactical recovery, uh, something that we've been talking about, or is it or are they more hopeful of a structural uh, recovery? Uh, it's hard to say that, but uh, I think it's just some very interesting data there. Um, and I think also going into next week, we get that golden week holiday period uh, in China. Again, very interesting because uh, some reports are really pointing uh, to the fact that uh, travel demand during this golden week holiday could be back to pre-pandemic levels, you know, looking at the flight data and the train bookings data and stuff. Uh, so if we do get that uh, uptick in the travel uh, you know, related spending, uh, we could be possibly positioned for some tactical recovery in China as well. Great points on China. I really love the, uh, the, uh, that you pulled in. Uh, the, the Saxo positioning gives that extra bit of color to, to the situation. Okay, I think, I think this is a wrap for the podcast. I think, you know, this week is going to be challenging in a different couple of ways. If you can, I mean, as you can sort of digest from the uh, the conversation we've just had, um, it's a very mixed picture out there. So watch out for that auto strike. Any headlines on on the potential U.S. shutdown? This minority group and the Republican Party. We have the PCA data. We have uh, consumer confidence in the U.S. A lot of things there. And then, of course, there's still the evolving energy situation in Europe. We have the we have the September inflation prints. We have the the lending survey out on on Wednesday. And then, of course, China. Interesting. If, if people are positioning themselves for a rebound, a lot of stimulus have been thrown at the Chinese economy lately. It's certainly going to be an interesting week. Thanks for listening.